Hey there, art lovers. Mike Henley here, and I'm excited to welcome you to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. In each episode, I'll be bringing you along on my journey as I explore what it means to be an artist. But don't worry, it's not just going to be me talking about my favorite pencils and sketchbooks the whole time, although those are pretty cool too. I'll also be chatting with other talented artists about their experiences and sharing some of my own insights and reflections on my art journey. So come on in, get comfortable, and let's get inspired together. Episode 92, Becoming an Artpreneur with Artist, Author, and Art Business Coach, Miriam Shulman. Hi everyone, and welcome back. It's wonderful to have you here. As always, I'm going to cover a few updates, and then we'll get right into the interview. Let's focus on uh, something that I've been working on for the last month, and that is trying to figure out my theme for 2023. Last year it was storytelling, and before that it was emergence. So this year I wanted a theme that kind of speak to this idea of producing more work, engaging with more people, and making more space for art in my life. And I, I, you know, I thought about using the word engage or producing or finishing, but it just, none of it seemed to make sense to me. But as I kind of thought about it a little bit more, these all fed into a word that kept popping up, and that is elevate. So my theme for 2023 is elevate. And if we consider the definition of elevate, it's you know to lift up or make higher, to raise in rank or status, or to improve morally, intellectually, or culturally. So I think that falls nicely into what I'm trying to do in this year. So there are a few elements to elevate. It's And I want to explain in my mind how I got to that point, uh, just in case you're still thinking of your theme. This is how I look at it. So the first thing I want to do is elevate my art. And by that, I mean I want to explore new mediums. I want to perfect kind of the mediums I know now. And I want to give them space in my life. I also want to vary the scale. So I want to go from... The pieces I'm doing now, the Tiger's a good example of that, going two foot by three foot. I want to increase the size of the canvases I'm working on. I also want to go the other way. I want to do some really small stuff. So I'm looking at that as a possibility to explore my art. Uh, You know, when you have a larger canvas, you can get into more detail. When you go smaller, there's other challenges with that. So I'm trying to expose my skill set to different canvases. And then I also, as part of this, when I produce my work, I want to share it more with the world. So that is an opportunity to do it through social media, obviously, but so I'm thinking galleries, I'm thinking commissions and competitions. There are a few competitions that I'm eyeing for this year and I'm going to submit my art into it. So fingers crossed, I don't know where this will take me, but it's a journey and I want to expose myself to it. So that's part of elevating my art. The next step is elevate the creatives around me. There's so many of you who are at different points in your journey And I want to take an opportunity through the podcast and through my following to kind of elevate others. And so how do I do that? I'm going to continue telling stories on the podcast, connecting with artists that are, you know, far along in their career, but artists that are also just starting out. So trying to get those stories out there for these wonderful creatives that are around us and you're following them and I'm following them. So I think wanting to shine the light on these individuals. And the other is to do a little bit more work in sharing what I know. And that is through the newsletter, that's through blog posts, and through videos as well. And this may be inspiring others to try new things, use new tools, refine a small element of what they do. I am not a fantastic artist, but I know a couple of things that I think I can help others with. And so I want to try and elevate those around me by just sharing what I know. 
And the other thing I want to do is is kind of surface people on Instagram. I'm going to be sharing more stories of other artists, other work that I see that really, really speaks to me. And uh, I love it when you do that because it exposes other people's work to me and I'm trying to do the same as well. So I'm going to do a little bit more of that on uh, social media. And then I'm also thinking about elevating myself internally. And what I mean by that is giving art the space in my life it needs and giving it devotion and time. What I haven't done is I haven't kind of gone through a week and said, okay, I'm going to be painting or drawing on this day, this day, and this day. And I have a full-time job. So what I'm talking about is in the evenings or on the weekend. And what I'm going to start doing is booking that time and telling my family, this I'm creating here. This is my time to do that. This is when I do it. And just holding that as being kind of sacred time for me to create. And so I'm trying to elevate myself as an artist within the human being that I am. And so we all are so many different things. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a, you know, I, I have my day job. I, you know, there's so many things that I do, but I want to make sure that I'm elevating the artist inside me. And so that's what I'm focusing on is giving my art space, giving my creativity space so that I can do it and I don't feel rushed around doing it. And the last thing is I want to elevate my customer or my collector. And this will come up when we get into the podcast, but the idea that I want to work on my newsletter and give my subscribers to the newsletter and potential buyers more to look at, more to be engaged with, and being mindful of what they're looking for. If they want to spend money on my art, making sure that I'm mindful of, of, of them and that it is, they're, they're not a consumer, they are a collaborator. Um, and so I want to attend more in-person events. I want to get to know the people that enjoy and that would buy my art. And it, it also speaks to the courses that I plan on doing as well, is understanding what kind of student would be interested in what I'm doing. So I want to make sure that I give these people that are interested in what I can produce prominence. They may be even more interested in what I'm producing in five years or two years or one year, but there are people that would be interested in what I, what I have right now. And I don't want to, I want to make sure that I give them the prominence in my journey in being part of it in consuming what I produce. So I think Elevate is really appropriate for what I'm thinking about this year and just having that word in my mind. And the reason I use a theme is that when I get into those difficult times that I have a signpost that I can look at and it has that word Elevate this year and it helps me to kind of frame the decisions I'm making in a way that provides me a path to get to 2024 and to move my art forward overall. So for this year, it's Elevate. I hope you've chosen a theme. It's never too late. And I may extend this into 2024. I don't know where this will go. I'm still mindful. I'm not letting go of storytelling. I really liked storytelling. I, I would say that that sits directly underneath Elevate because I think storytelling is so key to what we do. And that's what people are going to pay for. You know, these they're artists producing AI art. And I think what they lack is story. And as creatives in the space that we're doing, we can bring that forward. We can bring our story. We can share our story. And I'm going to talk more about that in the interview. But uh, yeah, for me, it's Elevate this year. I hope you've chosen your own theme. If you have, let me know. Send me a message or uh, tag me on a post. But um, it, it does really, I find, help me kind of focus on the year and my creativity. 
I'm just going to talk quickly about some of the work I've been doing. I'm still working on my Etcher A6 hot press sketchbook, throwing works in there, and I'm almost done. So I had to actually order a couple of more sketchbooks. So I'll post that because um, I ordered some other things from a, a Canadian company. So I'll post that in my Instagram story. You'll see it. And uh, so I did a polar bear. I did some water monkeys. I did a loon. I did a wild dog. With all of these, I'm trying to be a little bit quicker and looser with things, but I'm also trying to work with backgrounds and using that idea of like a, a Payne's gray or some other, you know, a light ochre or dark umber, whatever it may be, to kind of highlight the whites in the watercolor. And as you know, when you're dealing with watercolor, you could come in with white gouache, but it's not the same as just preserving that white as the white of the paper. And uh, so I'm trying to play a little bit more with backgrounds. I'm also looking at going larger. <laughs> I'm going like 11 by 17. I'm going to that kind of size with watercolor. So I'm excited about uh, what's going to be coming soon. So I, I didn't go in a whole lot of detail with my work because I'm going to save that for a future episode. But um, I think that's it for updates. And with that, let's jump into the interview. I discovered my guest when I found her podcast, The Inspiration Place, back in 2018, when I really started taking my art seriously. Her focus on the business of making art filled my mind with a future that I could visualize and I knew I could reach once I increased my skill level. Five years later, she now joins me on my podcast to talk about her journey from Wall Street to creating art and coaching others about the art business. We talk about being creatives, podcasting, and her new book, Artpreneur. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Miriam Shulman. Hi, Miriam. How are you? Good. Thank you for inviting me. This is so much fun. I'm excited to have you on to talk about your new book, Artpreneur, and to talk about you as a creative and where you came from and how you got to where you are now. And I know you've like, you've got so many golden nuggets that you share through the podcast and wherever you've spoken on YouTube, everywhere else. And but I, before I get to that, I just want to share something with you. Being able to sit and interview you is something on my bucket list. And so I'll explain why that is. I decided to get into art after I was 40. And as part of that, I was looking around for podcasts about art. And I stumbled on yours, the Inspiration Place podcast. And so when I started into my creative journey, your voice and your messaging and your stories were core to kind of me getting that foundation and becoming comfortable with myself as an artist to the point that I started my own podcast wow. and I took my art more seriously. So I, I wanted to thank you for being that voice in my ear. I, I wanted you to know that you were there for me and I appreciate you doing that. And I, I'm sure so many listeners have listened to you in some way, shape or form and now will read your book and probably have the same thing to say to you. So I just wanted to say that to you and, and to thank you for doing all the work you've been doing. Thank you. I'm like all proclaimed now. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't listened to all the episodes of yours because as you know, when you start producing a podcast, you listen less to other ones uh, because your time gets occupied. But I did catch up on a few and I just, you know, I would recommend to the listener now, like, it's great that you're listening to us on, on this podcast, but follow Miriam because her podcast is it's it's great it's quick they're just, just wonderful conversations that I think we all need to hear when we're thinking about creativity and and monetizing um, our love and our passion for art so I think it's wonderful thank you 
As with every guest, I, I like to understand where they came from. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about yourself as a child and growing up where you were creative. How did you come into creativity in your life for you, Miriam? I love this question. So this is a little bit different. The way you ask the question, I'm going to give a very different answer than I normally give on on these interviews, because a lot of times I'm asked about being an artist, and I start with the way my book does when I was in the fourth grade. But the way you ask the question is about being a creative person, <laughs> which is completely different. So I do believe that all humans are creative. Like that is really our purpose in life is to co-create. This is the one thing that separates humans from all other life is really how we're creating in the world. Of course, there's elephants who can paint and things like that, but we won't talk about that right now. We'll just talk about human beings. So my mother was a dancer. Uh, she wanted to be a dancer. She couldn't be a dancer because my father passed away when I was five years old. I wanted to be an artist. I grew up seeing that financial struggle. and But creativity was just really part of who we were and how my mother raised us. So even w- when we didn't have very much money, what she would do is she would save up so she could take my sister and I to the theater. Like that was our birthday slash, because our birthdays are in December, our birthday slash Hanukkah gift. So she was always giving us like these creative experiences. And I don't know how much of it was her influence, but my sister and I, we also were very, just very creative as children. We liked to make up plays. We used to create our own paper dolls. I remember childhood friends who we would do theater, do our own theater games with. So that has always been something that my mother valued. And that that value was passed to me. That's wonderful. I mean, it's good that you were given an opportunity to embrace that because I think especially, I mean, we're probably close in age and we won't talk about those numbers. I'm but. probably older. If you were over 40 when you started listening to my podcast, because I'm, I'm, I will talk about the number proudly. I'm 54. So. Well, I started, I, I started listening to your podcast, I think in 2018, maybe. So I didn't start when I was f- listening to your podcast when I was 40, but I'm turning 56 next month. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's why you like my pro- my podcast. You get all my cultural references. I, I, I do. I yeah. Do. What part of the me. country are you from? I'm in, uh, I guess, Eastern Can or I guess Central Canada. I'm in Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I do get all your references. Our weather is very similar, I think. So, uh, yes. You know, so I think that the, the fact that you were, um, you had this opportunity to be exposed to creativity, I think is, is wonderful. And, and, you know, my point about the age is that in our generation, at least when I was growing up, it was like blue collar. It's like, what is your job going to be? Yes. And in in my situation, creativity was more around music, which I didn't really jive with. And so I think that's wonderful that you had a parent that was able to kind of foster this appreciation of, of art, right? But she didn't want me to make a career out of it. Yes. Yeah, so there is a difference there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Did that carry with you through through school? Was was creativity like always there? The idea of of art, whether it's visual art or dance or music, was it always there as you went through high school and and on? Oh yeah, there? for sure. So I I wasn't encouraged to do it as my vocation, and so I didn't even take art classes when I was in high school. You know, that was surprises a lot of people. I you know made sure I signed up for all those 
pre-college classes because I wanted that ticket out of the poverty that um, we were in. Uh, we, you know, by the time I reached high school, my mother, uh, so my, my father died, my mother divorced her second husband. We were living with my grandparents in a small home. And by then there was, there were three kids, my mother and my grandparents in a house in, in New Jersey. And I, I wanted that freedom from what I was saw as that life. So I didn't even do that, take classes in that in high school, but I did do theater. You know, I hung out with all the drama kids. Um, when I went to college though, the pull got stronger. Uh, I, I, I found that I had a, a, a learn well, we called it learning disability when I was in college. Mm-hmm. I we found out I had a audiological processing problem that made it very difficult for me to do a lot of the college classes, and I did take refuge in my art. But I was still thinking of it as this is not something that's a career. This is something I do on the side. But I never gave up doing it for myself, even when I was pushing myself to to have a career that would provide for me that financial freedom that I was so desperately craving. So you kept it kind of on the back burner, but you ended up going and taking a slightly different path in a career into um, something a little bit more fast-paced. Yeah, at some I, point. you know, the thing is, the career was on the back burner, but the art was never on the back burner. So just like somebody who is works out all the time mm-hmm. and looks fantastic, you know, they look like an athlete, like that's how my art practice was like, that I was doing it all the time. I never forgot who I was. I, I was painting and drawing throughout college, even if I wasn't formally a visual arts major. And then even when I went to Wall Street, I was still drawing, painting, doing all those things. So that was always something that was a very important part of my life. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as on the back burner. It just wasn't professional. Okay. So that's, uh, that's interesting. It's, it's great that you're able to do that. You know, for, for me, I never really did that. Like I, I did it when I was a kid. I have a book that I wrote in when I was five years old that said that where I, you know you had to identify your what do you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, and it was it was artist. Good. At um, least it wasn't astronaut. Well, and you know what's funny, and this <laughs> is our generation good, too, right? Is that there were boy jobs and girl jobs, and artist wasn't a boy job. It was a girl job. So I scratched it out and I wrote it on the boy side saying artist. Like things you had, there was boy jobs were like doctor. The girl job was nurse. And so this is how old I am where this book had those choices. And I scratched mm-hmm. out artists and I put it, I, I wrote it in because it's like, I want to be an artist. I, I don't care about gender. Like this is what I want to be. I never came back for, you know, it took me 35 years to get back to it. So interesting, especially since the art world flatly rejects women as artists, and they see that as something that is for the male genius. Yes, exactly. Starting to change now slowly, Mm -hmm. but you know the abstract expressionists, the the leaders of that movement during that time, there was always thirty percent of them were women, and the pivotal people in that era were women, but then the history books rewrite it. So, you know, the dealers, they weren't interested. And because the dealers weren't interested, the museums weren't interested. And then they didn't get in the history books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's been a challenge. I've had other um, guests on talking about that as well. It's, it's problematic. It it feels like it's getting better. But I don't think I'm in a position of authority to say it's better, because 
Um, Better compared to what? You know? <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> you know? It's maybe not as good as it will be, but it's uh, it feels like it's a better space. In all the artists I've spoken to, it feels like it's more accepting of everybody. So I feel like there's change. So you're doing this kind of stuff on the side, but are you calling yourself, are you thinking about yourself when you're in college and maybe when you're on Wall Street and maybe you're anticipating where I'm going with this, but are you thinking, I'm an artist? I thought of myself as an artist, but not. I didn't see it as a possibility to be a professional artist and make a living. I didn't see that as an option. Just like you said, you know, they, these are the boy jobs, these are the girl jobs. Mm. I didn't see that as an option. Right. Uh, yeah, it was like a hobby. Well, a hobby, a passion, maybe. Like it's 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 it hard because it's either I, yeah. job or hobby, right? And I don't like that. Right? I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> you work on Wall Street, and then something happens to say where you you're like, I'm changing now. Things are happening. Can you talk a little bit about that when you transitioned? Okay. Into what you should be doing. Okay, so I was working on Wall Street, <laughs> and all the all the stories are true and worse. I, I, you know, like people ask me about Wolf on Wall Street. I, I didn't see a lot of drugs. I saw a lot of other stuff. <laughs> okay, so uh, I went. Then I went to hedge fund, which is basically going out of a frying pan and into the fire. So hedge fund is even more intense. At least when I was working for Salomon Brothers, it I felt like well they were doing they were philanthropic. They were giving something with their they're doing nice things with the money that they were making. But when I went to the hedge fund, these guys were just building golf courses for themselves and, and saving up for the vineyards. So it was, it was very different there. The, the mentality was, is very, I was clearly devoid of any kind of helping the world in that <laughs> environment. And I had the experience when I was still working on Wall Street downtown Manhattan, where I did witness the first bombing of the World Trade Center, which was in 1993. So when 9-11 happened, I had flashbacks to that moment. And in, back in 93, they didn't tell us it was a terrorist attack. I went up to my desk and everybody was working. And I could see out the window, what the heck's going on? There's like helicopters circling the buildings people are trying to smash windows so when 9-11 happened and they didn't evacuate the nearby buildings after the first plane crashed I knew that if I was there in one of those nearby buildings I would have been dead because the culture the culture of Wall Street is you work no matter what so that's when 9-11 happened that's when I made the decision I wasn't going to go back to that and I didn't care about how good the money was. And at first I didn't know that I could, I still didn't believe I could make a living as an artist. So I started doing other things. I taught Pilates at a gym. And when they taught me how to sell personal training packages, because that is what these gyms are, really make a lot of money. It's not just our the monthly gym memberships that we don't use, mm -hmm. but all the upsells. So when I was introduced to those selling skills, I, that's when I had my aha moment. I was like, oh, of course, I can use this to sell my portraits. And that's when I got really committed and went all in for my artwork. That's awesome. You know, it's a sad story, but it's also very good that that, that was a trigger for you, that it was 
uh, because I think that's what, and you talk about it in your book as well, like it's it's breaking free of some of these things and sometimes it's an outside trigger and sometimes it's internal and that's really hard, right? It's really hard to to pivot on your own and say, I, I'm, I'm going to move on. I, I'm going to leave my job and, and do this thing. Most people need a crisis to lift the veil on what's not working. So for me, it was 9-11. For other people, it was the pandemic. That's why we've mm-hmm. had millions of people who walked away from their job during what they're now calling the great resignation, because there's nothing like a crisis to lift a veil over what's not working in your life. For others, it's a personal crisis. There's a death in the family, something like that. There's an illness. It's very rare when somebody makes a pivot for, 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 for no reason. As human beings, we like safety. Exactly. <laughs> Knowing that tomorrow is spoken for and we just follow it along and, and, and off we go. Let's talk a little bit about your art itself. Like, so, you know, let's, let's look at that span through college and through uh, Wall Street and then those portraits you spoke about. What kind of art are you doing at that point in time and what medium you're using and, and what's that experience like? Because, you know, artists speaking to an artist with artists listening to us, everybody wants to know, like, what do you do? Like, is it, is it, is it watercolor? What brushes did you use? What did you like to do? That kind of thing. So maybe you can speak to the art. So I was doing watercolor and one of my primary reasons for choosing it is because I had small kids at home and I, it was the easiest medium to clean up there was no fumes involved. Uh, you know, it, it, unlike acrylic paint, if the, if the baby start crying and I walk away from my paintbrush, I don't have to throw it out. You know, yes. like, uh-huh. that was the problem with acrylic paints. So watercolor. And I've always loved painting, drawing people. I, you know, even when I was in high school, I used to draw my teachers and I did, that's one of the things I did throughout college. I would do life drawing. So that was something that was part of what I was really drawn to. I think a lot of that choice also has to do with the fact that I lost my father at such a young age to really be looking at people's faces, thinking about our mortality. And it really drove me to create this bit of immortality of the person that I was creating a portrait of creating immortality, for, uh, something that is like an heirloom that I knew would be passed down through that generations, as well as a piece of myself as the artist. Because as you know, Mike, you always put yourself into your art. Mm-hmm. So that mortality motivation has always been very important to me. That's uh, that's great to hear. I lost my mom when I was 17. And uh, so I, I can appreciate that kind of, it never goes away. It, it's always with you. And it drives us in different ways. And I think as an artist, being able to 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 harness that and in, and in, in explore it and and have it feedback into what you're doing day to day, it will impact you differently. You know, when I was 30 versus now when I'm nearly 56, the impact of loss and and things like that really it it changes. But it's so core to who we are. Back to your earlier point about you know what makes us unique is this creativity, the ability for us to create, and so I, I think that's. It's wonderful to hear that you found that connection through portraiture and um, th- that you used watercolor. And I've heard other people talk about that as well when they're thrown into this position of being, you know, of, of looking after the children, uh, which I had to do for three years because um, my wife had the better job. But I wasn't, I, I didn't do watercolor. I started drawing. And that's when I discovered it is I drew a dinosaur for my daughter and I looked at it and said, th- that's not bad. I should take this further. And then I drew a chickadee for my wife for Christmas and that's how it all started. So it's amazing this 
these accidental things that we do that maybe are more intentional than we thought. I, I think that's great. And I think that if someone's listening and they want to get into this, would you still say watercolor is the kind of the best path into it? Or would you recommend something else if somebody wants to get into art? Well, I mean, we, I can give you my sales pitch for what I, <laughs> for for my por- watercolor portrait class. Uh, so, what I say and also believe is that watercolor is the easiest medium if you have trouble drawing because. If you do any types of tracing or projection or any kind of transfer of a photograph onto paper, watercolor is a transparent medium. So you can still see those pencil lines throughout the process. So it's a really great way for for beginners to cheat a little bit if they lack some of those drawing skills. Yeah, I... uh... I would agree with that. I've, you know, myself, I've used the uh, the DaVinci app on the iPhone, which is great for transferring and projecting images, but it's really on larger scales and it's just to get the proportions right. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't draw too, too badly. I think I draw fairly well, uh, but it is nice to kind of cut those corners. And if you're working on watercolor, just get the thing down and then move to the watercolor and then possibly, like, have you used gouache or used to strictly kind of transparent? Well, for the, for portraits, it's watercolor is still my primary choice, and not just for those reasons. In terms of your the way you asked the question was like for other people, mm-hmm. but even for myself, I just like the luminosity that watercolor gives for flesh tones. And because I mostly paint watercolor portraits of children, I like the whimsical and the playfulness that watercolor has. I think that oil painting is just too formal. And then I still I still work from home. So I, I like using that non-toxic material. Right. And I think that rendering you did of your daughter recently in the, uh, in the swimming goggles and all that, I think it's just brilliant. I love yeah. that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well she, that was, uh, she's, she's 25, by mm-hmm. the way, now. But yeah, that was a great memory. What you were talking about your mother passing away. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that happens when we lose somebody, it's a piece of you kind of is gone because their memories of you are gone. And that is one of the most beautiful things that I find about creating artwork is we're preserving our point of view and our memories of the world. Even if you work abstract, it's still you're preserving your emotions. Right. And I think what we're doing, and I think about this every time I record a podcast, is that when I'm gone, my daughters will hear this conversation. I have two daughters, one's 17 and the other one's 20 they will hear these conversations now. And so what a wonderful gift that we're leaving our children in our voices and our thoughts that we're sharing through these podcasts. And so beyond our artwork, here's another opportunity for us to share with, I wish my mom did a podcast. Uh, so I think it's, it's wonderful that we have this opportunity as artists. And I want to get into the podcast in a little bit, but uh, I just wanted to highlight that as well. I think uh, you have a really good point about we were able to share ourselves for for those who uh, who will be left behind. Yeah, our point of view, which mm-hmm. Chat GPT and whatever those Lenza Senza they can't do. Mm-hmm. Mike, I have an important question for you. Do your daughters listen to your podcast now? They used to. Uh, I don't think they listen to it actively. They're very busy and distracted with boys and school and everything else. Yeah, my daughter got sick of listening to me. She did in the beginning. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, yeah, your mom's lecturing. Yeah, I, I'll have a guest on that they may have a like a 
distant connection to because of what they've done or that kind of thing. And uh, they're like, that's cool, Dad. Okay, I'm going to go do something else. (laughs) That's right. But, you know, this is the thing is, is uh, somebody told me that, you know, when you have when you have girls, um, and I'm generalizing, and I apologize for that, but they will leave you and go on their journey, but they will come back to you. And uh, I expect to be well dressed into my 80s and 90s because of because of uh, my daughters and just them having that. uh, I wouldn't do that as a as a as a son. So, um, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> parents talking to parents, right? That's right. No, no, girls, girls come home. My son already moved to Israel. He's gone. <laughs> Runaway bunny. <laughs> and does he listen to your podcast? No. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> he never did. Like, my daughter at least listened in the beginning. Right. But then I would say, like, thank God my family doesn't listen. Then I could talk about them as much as I want. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard you joke about that on the podcast yeah, as well. Right? Like, oh, mom, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> so, so you're doing this portraiture and you're doing your watercolor work, and then you started offering courses. Is that right? Is that kind of the next step for you after yeah. that? Okay. So, let me just give it drop down a timeline. So I've been at this for now over 20 years, and I didn't start offering online classes until about 10 years ago. And it was a few years before that I was teaching in person. So I was teaching in person and then I took my teaching online. Do you feel that teaching made you a better artist? Hmm. That's a good question. I think teaching in general makes you better at everything. It really helps you clarify what it is that, I mean, we are the best teachers of what we need to learn ourselves. I'm sure you find that true, Mike, with the podcast. It's it's helpful to talk about your stuff. And I don't think we do that enough. I've told people, like, you don't have to start a podcast, but record an audio message to yourself about 10 minutes long about something you've drawn or painted. There's value in it. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Had, did your style change through the teaching, like in, in what you were doing with watercolor? Did you find that you were impacted by the students? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I've experimented over the years in moving beyond watercolor because people really wanted to learn mixed media as I was experimenting with that. And in my art journal, people wanted to learn those techniques. So things that went beyond what I was doing professionally. So I don't know if this is true for you, Mike, but in addition to the the things I would do to sell, I create art for my own enjoyment and experiment, I'm like you can see some of that behind me right now. Like this is not stuff that I'm doing necessarily for sale. It might be someday, but uh, so for those who can't see me, <laughs> so during the pandemic, I actually stopped painting realistically. I finished up the commissions that I had in 2020, and I didn't solicit new ones. And I really didn't want to do realistic painting. I mean, there's just so much chaos in the world mm-hmm. and all those emotions that were stirring inside of me. I always felt more in alignment with the abstract expressionists, what they went through right after the, the Holocaust, the atomic bomb, and, and all those things I feel like an affinity with those people did at that time. And I felt the need to, to paint those feelings. Now, will I go back to my watercolor figurative work? Probably, probably. Because like now that things have settled for me, I moved from the suburbs to New York. I, I walk around New York and I start to think about things, what I'm seeing differently. So I probably will. 
but that that things have changed like artistically for me and I'm I'm exploring that and a lot of my creativity went into narrative into book form so a lot of my creativity went into that place and we're just talking about visual art but there is we have different modalities of being creative mm-hmm. and it's okay for it to go into different directions absolutely it's all storytelling and so it's all good. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So even when I was only painting portraits, I used to say that I, I tell stories with paint. And right now I'm telling stories with words. <laughs> so, yeah. So I want to come back to kind of the mentoring and and, and the coaching and everything that you do. But let's touch, touch on the podcast, the Inspiration Place podcast. And what made you think... <laughs> this is going to come out wrong, but I'm going to say it anyways because I think it'll be anyway. funny. Yeah. What made you think that was a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Okay, so um, in twenty was I think it was 2017. I met the editor, the then editor for Professional Artist Magazine. We met. Um, she's from Portland. She's a dear friend of mine now, Gigi Rosenberg. And we were got to talking. And so I pitched an idea for an article for her. And I wrote the article and she loved it. And she asked me to continue with writing articles. So when you remember the press, Mike, as you know, from podcasting, you can uh, meet people and talk to them and pick their brains. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so the podcast was kind of like the next level of that. So really, I started off more as like on a reconnaissance mission. And also because I get to meet and talk to cool people. So there you go. That was it. It was purely selfish. (laughs) Purely for artistic reasons and selfish reasons. (laughs) And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I did it for the same reason. I, I wanted to learn quickly. And I had done radio years ago, just for a couple of years, I had a radio show. And I thought, I I really enjoyed that. I want to come back to it. And I wanted to learn quickly. And I wanted to speak to some of the people like Robert Bateman, who was always a huge idol of mine with regard to oil paint. And and he came on episode 12. And I was like, now what? (laughs) (laughs) I've got my idol that came on, but uh, now what? And it's just been an exploration ever since. And I, I do think that there's a huge value in that, right? It is that recon. It's it's hearing the stories and the narratives. And some of it is like, wow, I didn't know that. And others are like, you're just like me. Like, I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm okay with who I am now because you're talking like I am. I, I, and so even our conversation to this point, I'm feeling like, you know what? I'm okay. Miriam's doing it. And she did some of the same things I did. And look how successful she is. So it, I think these conversations are important. And sometimes it's, it's talking to the person that's a step ahead of you or a step behind you. But sometimes it's okay to reach 10 steps ahead and have that conversation. So you start this Inspiration Place podcast. And I, and I was joking about it because it's a huge amount of work um, to take on doing a podcast on a regular basis. You're at how many episodes now? Um, 240 something. Yeah. Incredible. Do you, does it feed you? Do you have any plans on stopping? Do you, do you need to do the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a huge investment. So you can either invest your time or invest your money. And it's both for me. I, 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 it sounds like you edit your own show. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't do that. So I, it costs me a lot of money and there's something that people don't know, Mike. I don't know if you've run across this. Um, so when I talk about like that, I'm a six figure artist or whatever, and people say, yeah, but how much do you make from the podcast? <laughs> uh, that costs me money every yeah. single month. Cause I'm paying for a team to produce it, to edit it, to create graphics for me, to, to, to do all, all the things. So um, it is a labor of love, but it, is a, it is, has been a great thing for the business. Yeah, it is a labor of love. I have some Patreon supporters that help me month to month, but uh, yeah, I, I make nothing on this. Uh, and, you know, I've thought uh, time and again that maybe I just need to stop the podcast and focus on my art, but the podcast is my art. It's my audio narrative about what I'm doing and what I'm working on. And I feel that I can't separate the two. I used to treat them almost separately, that podcast is here and Mike the Artist is here. And I've kind of slowly brought them together. They are the same. Yeah. And in listening to yours, I, I went and binged, I think, the last six or eight episodes. And it's wonderful because you haven't changed. You're still... The nuggets and 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 your engaging voice and stories—it's just as I remember it. And uh, I I resubscribed again. I'm thinking I need to change my podcast feed so that I always get a little bit of Miriam each each time she uh, releases a new episode. So it's uh, you're doing good stuff. What have you? Uh, maybe this is maybe I want to ask. What did you learn from the the podcast? But what did you learn most? Maybe from doing the podcast? And I'm asking. I think from the perspective of someone who's listening, thinking, maybe I should do a podcast. I'm just wondering, what do you feel you learned most in doing the podcast to 200 plus episodes now? Well, I did have a vision when I started this podcast. I don't know if, if you did as well. So this is not exactly the question you were asking. But when I started, I named the podcast The Inspiration Place because that was the name of my online class site. And I thought, this is a cool name. It's going to be the same same name. And I had just started working with a business coach who had a long-term podcast as part of the reason I was working with him. And the first thing they tell you to do when you're starting any new business adventure is to survey your audience. And I surveyed my audience, and my audience at the time was not interested in learning about business. They just wanted to learn about art techniques. So I, I said to my coach, well, listen, they want to learn this, but that's not what I want to talk about. And he said, don't worry, your audience will evolve with you, which is exactly what happened. So it's been a beautiful thing. Um, so I, I do talk about all the things that I visualize myself talking about. And there are podcasts that talk about art technique. Mm -hmm. So it's not like that wasn't a possibility. It was just never my vision. I wanted to you know, talk to all the cool people who write the books that I was reading and talk about how it applied to art. And basically, I'm not just talking to the person on Zoom or on Riverside as we are now. I'm always thinking, Mike, about the person that we are both talking to right now, who is also listening. Mm -hmm. That multi-eyed creature who has their chair pulled up to the table right now. So I'm talking to them as well. And I love the way you've phrase that because so many podcasters talk about all the people listening, but the way you've kind of, um, the way you've described it there and the way you do it in the podcast is I'm talking to you, the person that's listening right. right now, talking to one person. And that's so important because this is a personal experience. Somebody's listening to us right now and, and they're jogging or they're driving or they're on a bus. 
Yeah, they're by yeah. themselves. Exactly. <laughs> they can't see, they don't see the other people listening. So yeah. it's like, it's a three-way conversation. It's not you and me in public speaking. So I, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you're going to continue with the podcast. Would you, would you recommend someone starting a podcast? Oh, you really have to want to do it. Don't you agree? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, you answer the question. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the truth is, is that when I first started listening to podcasts, which I want to say was 2013, it was the first time I was really introduced to them. At Before that, I had heard about this thing called, what were they called back then? I don't know. Uh, like my kids had to do projects for middle school that were basically podcasts. And mm-hmm. so it was a very abstract idea to my you know, mommy brain that didn't understand this newfangled technology at all. And then I started listening to podcasts in about 2013, because I was taking an online class and this, and the person teaching it had a podcast, I started listening. And then I was like, Oh, this would be a cool idea. And I thought about it. And then I put it aside. And then, like I said, when I started writing for and get uh, for the magazine and understanding like, really what podcasting can do outside of just being a communication mechanism. So I had a a long-term blog where I was putting down my stories, putting down my thoughts and all that, but building those relationships, being able to invest in the relationships with um, other podcast guests, other podcast hosts, And those were the things that really became motivational for me. So you really need to have a good reason before you create it. But that's true of anything you create. You got to you got to love your reasons. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to pin you down on that because I'll answer it now. But I I think that like I listen to so many. I I, my day job is in tech around health research. So that's that's my day job. And so I used to listen to all the tech podcasts. And I remember going to a conference around it was around um you know apps and building apps for for ios and i've there was a bunch of people there and we were a bunch of developers and i'm like i think i'm gonna start a podcast about art and they're like an audio podcast about drawing or painting how does that work (laughs) how are people going to like are you gonna have a video version as well and people thought it was a silly idea so no matter what you do or what you think there are people out there they're gonna say that doesn't make sense and, uh, you know, sometimes they may be right, or they the might... The world isn't round. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. So I think it made me, I think, be critical about doing it. Like, it forced me to be a bit more critical about, is this a good idea? What At what end point do I measure success or failure? Do I get to 20 episodes? Do I get to 30? At what point do, do we do that? It, it starts to just become something. Like, I've done it for four years. Uh, it'll be in May, uh, you know, to 100 episodes, and... It's um, now I have to get to 100. I don't know what happens at 100. Um, I don't know for you, like, were those milestones for you 100, 200? Did you think about it at that point? Or was it just something you do? I mean, the milestones were important, but I started it without an idea of stopping. So it sounds like you were like going to try it out and then see. I wanted to learn stuff. And so I wanted to and, and then when I started learning stuff, it was like, wait a second. And, and to your point, now I can reach out to these people that I've admired and say, hey, 
I'm a media outlet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come talk to me, please. That's right. And I even get press passes to these shows that you normally would have to spend a couple hundred dollars for. You just get to walk in. I, I've not done that, but I, I will leverage that. <laughs> yeah, you're a member of the press. <laughs> so that's that's great. And I would recommend, once again, if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to, to Miriam's podcast, The Inspiration Place, uh, you have to go check it out because it it's wonderful. And it's not as long as mine. And so you can fit it into your day, I guarantee it. And it's so weird because I listen to my podcast at one and a half speed. So for those, so I normally hear you speak much more quickly and so I, when I listened to the last six or eight episodes, I had to put it at 1x speed because I felt like when I spoke to you and you're speaking at, you know, 50% slower than I normally hear you, I would find it jarring. So I speak really fast. You know, that's like one of the complaints is like, she's that I'm a fast talking New Yorker. But I still have you at 1.5 oh and I can God. still understand you. <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> and that's the same speed you listen to everybody? Yes. Okay, There's one podcast where I do crank it down to one because one of the one of the hosts speaks much more quickly than you do. So, yeah. Cool. But uh, yeah, that way you can get through them, right? So I want to get to the book. But in between the podcast and the book, can you talk about the coaching and mentoring? Because I think that's, the book is a culmination of kind of all of that in your experience. And it is a beautiful, tight, tidy package of kind of that experience. So maybe you can talk about that and then we'll get into the book. But can you talk about your mentoring and coaching and what you've been doing to help artists get to that next level? Okay, so the coaching started shortly after I I started the podcast. People reached out to me and said, do you coach? Actually, you didn't ask me. That was how my online classes started too. Someone reached out to me and said, do you teach classes online? And I didn't know what it was, but I was like, of course I do. <laughs> you know? And then when people said, do you coach? I was like, yes, and, <laughs> you know, so it was a very much a yes and thing. So I started coaching and my first client was one-on-one and then I decided I wanted to expand that. I just sent an email out to all my students. Hey, who wants coaching basically? And when I was interviewing them, I saw that they all had the same issues. So I was like, there's no way I'm coaching each of these people one at a time on the same exact thing. So I said, it's now a group coaching program. (laughs) That's really how it started. And when you're coaching, are you focusing on the skills or you're focusing on the business and the marketing and, and kind of building up that that skin to to go out into the art world and push yourself and promote yourself and talk about your work. Yeah, I got confused at first when you said skills. So we are focusing on the marketing skills. If that's so if you meant yes. skills like the art skills, it doesn't matter what kind of artist they are to join the program. And I hardly ever even look at their art. Occasionally I do, but so rarely. So rarely. It's all about marketing and mindset. And some of the pushback that I've gotten since I've written Artpreneurs, because I say anyone can do this, and people say, well, what about talent? I was like, listen, marketing and mindset are going to trump talent every single time. And I know everyone listening knows that because we all know the artists are like, she's not so good. Why why, Why is she so successful? Or... Maybe there's artists you know who are really good and they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And what makes the difference is the mindset and the marketing. 
I, I would also say that, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, that, you know, talent when it comes to art is, it's not real. It's about skill. The talent may be around your ability to embrace creativity, but don't think that because you can't draw or paint now that you can't draw or paint tomorrow. I'm so glad you said that. So this morning I was interviewed by a woman who was telling me how, yeah, but, you know, I was trying to talk about the skills and I don't argue with podcast hosts, you know, just like, let's just change the subject. But uh, she, she was talking about how, yeah, but I'm really just no good at it. And the point that I would love to make is that she wasn't willing to be a bad artist before she became a good artist. She wasn't willing to fail. That was the difference. That's the difference between somebody who is quote unquote talented and gets good at anything, at anything is you're willing to be bad first. You're willing to fail at it. If you're not willing to fail because you try something and it doesn't work out, that's what people say. Oh, well, it's just because I'm not talented. They think the talent lets them off the hook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you see a really great artist, don't tell them they're talented. Tell them they're good and they're skilled because I think that's, that speaks to what they're doing. And I think, you know, we always talk about the ugly phase in painting. There's an ugly phase in your art career and you, and there's multiple and you have to get past those and you have these wonderful peaks, but you need the valleys. We don't learn from what we do well. We learn from what we make mistakes at, right? Yeah. I think you've yeah. probably said this in your podcast too. And it's very good parenting, Mike, as you know. So you're not <laughs> supposed to tell your children that they're smart if they perform well on a test, they worked hard. Why? Because then the next time they don't, they don't perform so well, they think, oh, it's because I'm stupid. Mm -hmm. So you can't credit it to talent or how smart someone is. It's, it's always got to be lauding their hard work. Yeah. And it's, you're right on that point. And I'll take the parenting thing even further. <laughs> and that is when, when you think about yourself, you can't, you know, it's not that you're bad. It's that that piece of art didn't work for you. And so, you know, same as when you speak to your kids, it's like, oh, um, you know, you're, you're misbehaving. It's your actions I have a problem with. It's not you. So keep that in mind when you're creating your art. If, if you're not happy with that piece of art, it doesn't mean you're a bad artist. They don't equate. That's right. I've done, I did really awful art this week that I was not happy with. But, you know, I went on to the next thing. And I learned from it and stuff I'm not going to do again. But if you're not making mistakes, you're not pushing hard enough. No, you have to be willing to go into the studio and do mediocre work. Yes. You know, people talk about 10,000 paintings or drawing. For me, that scares the bejeebers out of me. Like, I, I don't I don't want to think about that because it makes you feel like, oh, I've got such a long way to go. But you do have to do the next one and the next one. And... People will, will, they will be interested in your work on that journey. You don't have to wait till you're at 10,000 before you're successful. I'm so glad you said that because there's a lot of people who think you do, <laughs> that you can't bring something out when it's in its adolescent stage, if it has pimples and braces. So what I say is you have to love your baby now. And in our, the book, Artpreneur, I talk about this as Sleeping Beauty Complex. So the Disney movie, Sleeping Beauty, the fairies take the princess as a baby into the woods where they can raise her and protect her. And you don't see her again. You don't see this character again until she's fully grown with you know, her flowing blonde hair. Look, looks great out in the woods. I don't know how. But anyway, 
So we think that with our businesses that you have to wait until you get reach the certain stage before you can start offering for sale or marketing it. No, you have to put things out in the world and get feedback before you think it's good enough, before you think it's perfect, because you've got to love your baby now. You, there's no way to get better at something until you really see what is resonating with people. What is it about your art that they're connecting with? Right. I really want to jump into the book because you're bringing up something that I read and I was thought, this is, I love this. But I wanted to, like, if somebody is listening to you now, to us now, and want to get on board with this, there's opportunities where they can enroll in some of what you're doing outside of the book. They can go in and interact with you. You still make those available, those courses? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's plenty of free stuff too. So I have a masterclass um, that talks about, it's basically stop wasting time on social media. (laughs) So how to sell more art without being Insta-famous. You're going to put this link in the show notes? I will. Shulmanart.com forward slash sell more art. And it's a 45-minute masterclass. It's free, of course. I will tell you about other things you can buy at the end of the masterclass. But it is a very powerful training that is really going to shift your mindset. That's awesome. So let's get into this book, Artpreneur. It's a step-by-step guide to making a sustainable living from your creativity. I love this. And I was sent a PDF and I was reading through it and I'm like, I, I ordered the book. Like I, I need, I need to read more of this cause I'm reading through it and it's like, this is wonderful, but I want a physical copy. This means so much to me. So I, I, I ordered the book. It'll be here tomorrow. And I want to say that what you're, what you have in this book, I think if you're a creative and I know so many artists that have are at the stage where they could really do so much more. And I think this book would, I I wish I could gift this book to everybody on the podcast because I think it would mean so much to so many artists. Why did you decide, (laughs) this will be like the podcast question, why did you decide to write a book? (laughs) Because that, it's not a small feat. So what made you think this is a good idea? Well, there were certain points along the journey where I thought this was a terrible idea. Like right after I, f- I got the book contract and HarperCollins signed off on it, and I was like, oh, this is a terrible idea. Why am I doing this? So I decided I wanted to write a book in 2020, and I, I gained more clarity about how that book was going to look. There were stories I wanted to tell, personal stories I wanted to tell. And also, I really wanted to package what I know and put it into a book form. So as artists, there are different ways that we convey our art. Like Harry Potter is a book. It's also a movie. Those are two very different things. You know, so how you consume the art is going to be different. And my audiobook was also a very different thing. So I really wanted to put everything in that I knew and give it to all, you know, leave that legacy behind, create that bit of immortality, not taking what I know with me, leaving it all behind on the planet. I'm glad you did. Because it is, you, you see a lot of books like, not like this, but you see a lot of books that come out that try to address this. And I think you've done a wonderful job in kind of talking about that. Um, the idea of taking what you're doing creatively and bringing it to the next level and sharing it with the world. And I wonder if you can talk about a few things in the book. And I 
I, I need you to talk about this because I just love hearing it. But can you talk about the inner weirdo? <laughs> oh, everybody loves this chapter. You know, my agent hated that chapter title because I gave her the outline. She's like, I don't like this weirdo. What is this weirdo? Why are you calling people weirdos? I was like, that stays. <laughs> <laughs> So embrace your inner weirdo. Uh, let's talk about weird first. So weird, the, the chapter really is about finding your own artistic voice in whatever medium it is. So I go through the steps of uncovering that. But let's start first with the word weird. So the word weird is actually a Scottish word. Um, those of you who were forced to read Macbeth in middle school, like I do may remember the weird sisters. They were the three witches that predicted Macbeth's destiny. That is actually what the word means, fate, destiny, magic. And what happened was over the years, as the supernatural took on a negative connotation, the word weird also took on a negative connotation. And so that's why now when we say weird, we mean, uh, but really weird is magic. It's our destiny. It's our fate. And as artists, that's the very thing we need to embrace. And that's what people want. People, pe artists who come to me and they say, Miriam, I want to create this art, but it's so weird. I say, yes, do it because it's weird. That's what people want. They, they're tired of boring. They don't want vanilla. They want the thing that only you can bring to the world. Wonderful. Thank you for explaining what a weirdo is. <laughs> I love that. Yes, my fellow weirdos. Who are <laughs> How long did it take? So you started in 2020. It's, it, it's come out uh, February 1st, and it's available now. As you listen to this podcast, you can pause it and go buy it, uh, or you can wait till the end. Uh, I will include links in the show notes on everything that we talk about, but obviously a direct link to, to how to purchase this book. So you started in 2020, so it's taken... To like that was a you know I've had other people on on the podcast talking about books and it's it scares me I, I'm excited to produce a book to create a book but I'm a little bit scared because everybody's like uh writing books <laughs> it's not yeah remember when uh before you had kids and other parents told you it's really hard and you were like yeah and t and then you had a kid and you're like uh <laughs> That's what writing a book is like. It's like being pregnant with an elephant. And elephants are pregnant for two years. And then you have to give birth to an elephant. And now you gave birth to an elephant. And guess what? You have a baby elephant. You have to raise a baby elephant. So um, I, I love how, you know, it's like exercising. Somebody asked me the other day, what do you like best about writing the book? It's like the fact that I wrote a book. Well, I think it's a wonderful book. Like it really does. It's it's a self-contained package. Like this is not going to upsell you to anything. This is a, like a little bit of a creative, you know, monetizing your creativity as as a handbook. Like it is is a wonderful piece. And you, you talk so much. And the reason I was triggered earlier about let's talk to the book, let's talk about the book is you were talking about belief, and you talk about this belief triad in the book. And I wonder if you can talk about that because I think that's a wonderful way to look at ourselves and what we do. Okay. So anyone who has picked up any self-development book has heard belief, believe in yourself. Wah, wah, wah. Tell me something new. <laughs> believe in your art. Again. Wah, wah, wah. But what I never hear anyone talk about is the third part of the belief triad, which is you need to believe 
in your audience. You need to believe in your customer. You need to believe that there's an art collector out there who wants what's weird that you're creating. They want what's weird. They want that stuff. And, and they're willing to pay for it. Are there things that we can do to improve that? Yeah. So let, let me let me talk about, um, t- tell a story. So you're the same age as me. You've seen Pretty Woman. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. So in Pretty Woman, uh, Richard Gere plays a gazillionaire and uh, Julia Roberts, young, sweet Julia Roberts. I think she was only 20 in the movie. She plays a hooker and he decides that he wants Julia Roberts to be his ladylike escort to take him to these you know, to polo matches and things like that. But she can't dress like a hooker. So he gives her his gold card and she goes to Rodeo Drive dressed like a hooker. And the first store she goes into, the salespeople won't wait on her. And they they basically say, I'm sorry, we, you know, we, we have nothing for you here. Now, what's happening is they don't believe she has the money. They don't believe in the customer. They don't believe in the buyer. So she goes off, she's able to buy clothes somewhere else. She comes back, dressed gorgeously, lots of shopping bags. She walks back into that boutique to rub it in and says to the salespeople, do you remember me? I was in here yesterday. Do you work on commission? Big mistake. Now, this is a great story and people think they're not like those mean salespeople yet. Yet, Mike, how many times have we said to ourselves, they won't pay for that? They won't pay those high. I don't think she's going to want go for that high, pr- that number for the commission, or that high price. Yeah. How many times have we done that? That's what belief in the buyer looks like. It's not and not just believing in your buyer, but loving your buyer, loving your buyer. And I love that. Like I, I, I never really thought about it, but it's a really good point. And that kind of I think so many of us suf- suffer with imposter syndrome. And I think that's a really good way to pull yourself out of it is to, is to consider that belief triad and especially that component of, of the customer and believing in them and that they would pay for what you did or what you create. So much of my book, Artpreneur, is about unpacking what the customer is thinking because we're so caught up in ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves and the customers are thinking about themselves like what's going through the mind of the customer in the buying decision is not whether you mike and your um i'm looking at the painting of a tiger whether your tiger painting is worth whatever it, whatever price you put on it they're thinking am i miriam worth spending whatever it is five thousand dollars to buy a painting that i like am i worth it the customer is thinking am i worth spending that money on so that's what you have to understand that it's not about, everything's not about us. So I include an artpreneur and overcoming objections chart. And the reason I have that in there, it's not about selling things at all costs. That's not what this is about. This is about having compassion, having compassion for your buyer of what's going through their mind. They're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of investing in themselves. They are indecisive. And when you understand that and have that compassion for the other person, it is so much easier to sell to them. You talk about selling in alignment with your values. And I really kind of cherish my work and and the values in, in what I'm doing, choosing as subjects and things like that. 
and I think maybe that talks to the idea of selling out and, and things like that and, and maybe having the market feed what you do. Can you speak to a little bit about about that, about um, selling in alignment with your values and, and how that leads to more sales? And maybe that ties into the, the, the belief triad a little bit as well. Okay, it's a great question. And it's probably a little bit different than what you're thinking. So what okay. I mean with selling with your um, being in alignment with your values is there's so many artists who are people pleasing and they're playing to the middle, whether it's with their art, whether it's with the statements they're making publicly, um, they don't want to share their politics for they're afraid of losing followers. And here's the thing, the exact opposite is true. When you are playing to the middle and you're going for mediocrity, there's no money in the middle. People want to know what you think, love them or hate them. There's no money in the middle. And if you look about the people that you you respect the most in the world and the people you detest in the world, what they have in common is that you know exactly where they stand and the people who are most successful. Now, you don't like them, but a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's really about with um, being in alignment with your values is really not hiding your quirks, your weirdness, not hiding what your values are. And there are a lot of customers, there's a lot of research that shows that a conscious consumer buys with their values. So somebody who perhaps cares about sustainability may not want, uh, perhaps may not want an oil painting. They're only going to want something that's made with economic things, or maybe they, they don't, they're going to, going to look very carefully about how much plastic is being used or how much paper. Somebody who cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion may be shopping in a very different way. I know for myself, ever since the George Floyd murder, I pay close attention when catalogs come if they're only white people in the catalog. I don't like shopping from brands anymore that aren't inclusive. So there's many different things that will go through a mind for some buyers, not all buyers, but buyers who are conscious consumers, and they will shop with their values in that way. So, and that's not about being inauthentic, like, the, because people can see right through that. It's not, you know, today's hashtag, you know, whatever, it's hashtag gay pride week. It's not about doing that. It's right. about really being authentic. You talk about this idea of the the first kind of three surprising steps to starting your business. And can you maybe speak to that a little bit? Okay. So this may get into our homework that we're going (laughs) to give them later. Okay. So the first thing you need to do is open a separate business bank account. Separate, completely separate from your personal bank account. In fact, Make it in a different bank so you don't accidentally pull out the, the, the card with the, lo- the, ro- the logo. You want a different logo, um, separate. So this creates a financial container and a mental container for your art business so that you're making decisions based on the money coming into your business. And then you can make better decisions about going out. If it's mixed, if you're mixing that with your personal accounts, now you are in the position where you may feel the need to ask your partner about business decisions, who isn't your business partner, your romantic partner, if you have mixed personal funds that way. So keep it separate, not just for those reasons, but your accountant will be, the counting your in tax time will be so much easier when it's separate. So that's one. The, the second thing is declaring yourself as an artist. 
So chapter one, choose to believe. So I talk about my own personal story of choosing to believe I am an artist. And my invitation for you, the listener, is to declare yourself an artist and to tell everybody who you are. Make that identity real for yourself so you're not seeing it anymore as a hobby. This is who you are. And the more you do that, not only will you get better at framing it in the most concise way possible, but every time you say it, you're not just telling it to the other person. It's not just about that. You're saying it to yourself and you're saying it to the universe. Awesome. And I'm blanking out on step number three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know what it is. Okay. Okay, We'll pretend pretend you didn't. (laughs) No, you don't have to pretend anything. Um, the, the other thing, the podcast interview I told you about earlier, which we won't say who it was, so it doesn't matter. So I can talk yeah. about them, right? You're giving me permission. Okay. So she says, well, some people think of artists as flaky, but, but you have to be a business person, right? I was like, I'm pretty flaky. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm very flaky and I own it. <laughs> okay. So the third thing is to bring your art into the world before it's a grown up. Love your baby now. Bring your imperfect um, creations out into the world. You've influenced me to make two decisions in the last week in looking at the PDF and flipping through it. I haven't read the whole book, but I was like, I just, I want to get it in my hands. I don't, I can't look it out on the screen. It's frustrating me. I want to get it in my hands, but I've made two decisions and I, I love these two points because you, you don't talk about social media in the book, really. Not a lot. I, 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 I do, but not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's great. And maybe you can speak to why that is. But I'm mindful of our time as well. But um, I made two changes. One is, to your point about getting out in the world, I replaced my art in Instagram as the avatar to my face. Yes. So I did that on, on Instagram. I did that on Twitter. I did that in other social platforms. It's like, you're right, Miriam. It needs to be about selling me as the artist, not selling the art piece that I change every month or so. And the other thing I did, which is the best kind of 40 bucks I ever spent, is I had business cards made. And I used two in the last week. And I've been doing this for a while. And it was great being able to design, put my art on a business card and say, here, this is me. I am artist. Hear me paint or see me draw. And this is my card. So um, that's great. So the reason why I tell people um, to make their avatar, their face, not their art, certainly not your dog, and not you with your sweetie. Okay, is because art collectors, they want to collect art from human beings. They, the social media, it's, at the very least, it's supposed to be social. So they want to act with a, interact with a real person and they don't want to shop from brands. They want to shop from people. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the other thing that's, that goes along with this, and this goes to the idea of, of a 10 minute recording about your art, uh, even just to talk about it, is people want the story. And so I'm hopeful that when people buy my art, that if it's hanging in their wall and people come in and say, oh, who did that? Well, they can say, and they can say, not only did he do that, or she do that, or they did that, but this is the inspiration for it. This is where it came from. And they have a story to tell. And so now they become a, a gallerist in explaining 
you know, almost like a museum, like this piece was, was inspired by whatever. And it doesn't have to be complex. It could be that I was at the beach with my kids and this is what we saw. And he was in PEI. Oh, yeah, I've got a place in PEI. So people like the storytelling. They do. And I think that's, um, that's really important as well. So um, I would recommend everyone go out and pick up the book. It's not expensive. <laughs> it's a dollar off on Amazon. There we go. Uh, so go out and do this and um, you will thank me later and you'll thank Miriam as well because I, I don't often recommend and push things, but I would recommend if you're thinking about taking your art to the next level, there is, as I say with everything, there is at least one thing and there's probably 12 things in here that you can feed off of to, to kind of move your art career forward. So I, I'm mindful of the time, but I want to get to, um, you, it's, it's, and I love this, at the end of every chapter, you have marching orders. Uh, in the podcast, we have homework, and I know you kind of talked about homework a little bit in those three steps. I don't know if there's another bit of homework that we can give the listener um, that can help them move them along their creative journey. Okay, so we'll talk about those three steps. So first of all, open the separate business bank account. I'm like so surprised like how many people, not just artists, but people who just don't do this. Um, I think even my agent, when she read that chapter, she says like, oh, I, I don't have, it's not separate. It's like, okay. Can I ask you one question before you get to step two? Yeah. When we're selling our art, do you do you consider like, you know, am I going to sell $1,000 this year? I'm going to sell 10,000. Like, do you think about that when you create the, when you open the account or you just open it, like just open it? Oh, you just just open it. Um, But in terms of your question, what a lot of people don't do in terms of um, setting their goals for the year and pricing what they're doing is they it's like magic numbers. I want to make $50,000 this year. And then I'll talk to them. I says, Okay, so what kind of art are you creating? And they'll tell me they do these colored pencil sketches that take them all day. Okay, how much are you pricing them for? $100. All right, so do you understand that if you sold every single one that you create and you and you drew all day long or painted all day long that you would make $24,000 a year? That my help of getting you to sell better is not going to help you with either what you're creating or what you're pricing it at and sometimes it's both. So it's, that is a, a math problem. It's not, you know, it's just this times this equals that. Like how much can you create each week? How right. much are you pricing it for? Uh, and, you know, if we can, if that would be the homework number two, am I supposed to give them multiple homework things? You can give them as much homework because they'll just take it on. And some people will pick and choose. So. Okay, well, this is, this is enough. Open a separate bank account. And the second homework piece is go into your studio Take an inventory of everything you have and what you're pricing it at and tell me if I were to go in and buy everything, what that number is, see what that number is. That's a good idea. I'm trying to do that. So I, not right now. <laughs> I know. I can see Mikey's like looking around his studio. Like, <laughs> Just I got stuff in boxes here. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to dig it out. And I don't know why I'm holding on to it so it could be better in someone else's house. So um yeah, that's a, I, I, I love that homework. I think that's a great idea. I ask this question sometimes, and before we get into where people can find you online, I'm wondering, Miriam, and, and understand the kind of abstract way that I'm asking this, and I'm just curious about what comes to your head first. Do you prefer asking why or how? Ooh, did you tell me you were going to ask this question? No. 
Okay, I don't feel bad for being like, you know, playing on my lips. I don't know. I ask both. Why do I have to choose? I'm a questioner. I like to know why things, why we, especially like with my team, I always want to know how does this work? Even if it's something that I'm not going to have to do myself. Um, I'm very interested in making sure things are, I understand how things work and why choices were made. So I don't know why I'd have to choose, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've had some people say, oh, why? And I've had other people say, well, how? And it's interesting that you're like, I'm, I ask all the questions. <laughs> so Yes, I, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fun answer. So thank you, Miriam. I, uh, I want people to be able to find you online, and I'm going to include links in the show notes. So maybe if you can talk about where people can find you, where you're most active. Okay. So if you liked what you heard today, please come find me on the Inspiration Place podcast, wherever you're listening to Mike, you'll be able to find me. And you can download chapter one of Artpreneur absolutely free. So chapter one that we talked about, Choose to Believe, you can go to shulmanart.com forward slash believe, and I will send you chapter one. That's awesome. And I will link to your Instagram and I will link to your website. And then the book, what's the best way for people to, to find the book through your website or? Yeah, it's everywhere because it is through a major publisher. But if you go to artpreneurbook.com, there are bonuses on that page that are worth way more than the price of the book. And Mike, if you missed out on that, it's not too late. Just kick your order number and stick it on that page. And we'll make sure we hook you up with the bonuses. That's that's awesome. That's wonderful. So thank you very much, Miriam. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inspiring me over all these years and being that 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 voice quite literally in my head <laughs> with your podcast, The Inspiration Place, and kind of being part of my journey. And it's so wonderful to be able to kind of circle back and have you on on my show to talk about your journey and your impact and be able to share this wonderful, wonderful book that people can find everywhere. Uh, thank you so much for making the time to be on this podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's been an honor. Wishing you all the best in 2023 and all the best on this launch. Thank you. Show notes, including links to everything Miriam and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 92. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep trying. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 